allow me, if you would, to take you back to 1970. Yeah, is anybody here? Who was born in the 70s or earlier? Let me see a hand. Yes, there were more in first service. Can I tell you? A little few more. So 1970 was a very difficult time for our nation. In the 70s, we had lost our president, JFK. We had lost Dr. Martin Luther King. We lost Robert Kennedy. We were still in the middle of the Vietnam War, and we weren't. It wasn't going anywhere. It was getting worse, in fact, and it looked very dark. Challenges of racism, challenges of、um, of riots, different things like that were all still going very strong. A little thing that was invented called no-fault divorce single-handedly contributed to the divorce rate going from going almost double in a ten-year period. On top of that, you had broken homes and broken families, and now you had children where latchkey latch children were not just a phrase, but it was becoming a reality. In our cities, people were moving to the suburbs, but what that left was a blighted community on the inside, and it left a decaying inner city because of all these things. And so our nation was in despair. Even when a bunch of hippies tried to get together and have a concert, people were killed. No matter what happened, it didn't seem like. Like、there was ever hope. It felt like we were in a very dark time. The nu- the nuclear arms race was still going on, and all you history teachers, I'm sorry, I'm not going to get it all right. But、um, and and we were looking at a very dark time still, with inflation and everything like that. Our country needed hope. Our country needed a hero. Our country needed someone that could give us a little bit of hope in this dark time. And then someone came. I think I can do it. I practice a lot. You know it. How many of you saw this in your kid? It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood. A neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Would you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say. Would you be mine? Would you be mine? You have no idea how hard. My neighbor. Oops! Here we go. Won't you please? Please, won't you be my neighbor? Woo! My 14-year-old, who is a dancer, was like, "No, mom, one and two and cross right, back step." No, so we did our best, but wasn't that fun? How many of you remember 30 years running Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, over and over and over again? As many of you know, Fred Rogers was a Presbyterian with a theology degree, who planned to go into the ministry. But he saw this medium called television, and he thought, "This interests me. I think I can touch more lives and make a bigger impact, not in the traditional way through the pulpit, but through this box and through this interesting medium." He started a show. 
then formed a production company. And when he stepped down in 2002, he was the longest-running children's uh, public program in the history of America, now only to be beat by Sesame Street, another program committed to letting children know that their neighbors were safe, that their neighborhoods were a good place, and that they could feel loved and safe. And I got to tell you, I sat down to study a little bit, and I was like Googling Mr. Rogers, and after I laughed through Eddie Murphy's version of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and all that kind of thing, I began to look into the life of this man, and it moved me. And my kids are laughing at me because I'm like, "Eh, Mr. Rogers is so sweet, you know, and everything like that. But it was amazing to see how someone who was simply kind could set a nation in a back path one child at a time because he wanted you to know you're loved, you're safe, and we're going to be okay. And uh, years later when he was interviewed by Joan Rivers, who many of you may not know is a comedian who was pretty known for being, she's known for being crude and things like that. She was speechless when she interviewed him because she had no idea how to speak to this man who just exuded selflessness and kindness. She told him, I don't know how to talk to you. And then he sang her the whole, I like you. I really, really like you. You know, and she was like all awkward. It was great. So, but we're in the middle of a series called Live Kind. Fred Rogers himself was quoted as saying, there's three keys to success. Number one, be kind. Number two, be kind. Number three, be kind. It's simply kindness. We used to say that random acts of kindness could make a difference, but I would challenge you today that deliberate acts of kindness can change our neighbors, it can change our neighborhoods, our schools, our communities, and eventually our world. The deliberate acts of kindness, when we intentionally say, I want to live kind, and that's what we've been talking about. Last week was the first part of the series, and Pastor Adam was here, and he talked about kindness inside our hearts. He talked about that our kindness can only start when we recognize that the God of heaven showed kindness when he sent his son Jesus, that kindness comes out of a heart of gratefulness and a heart of of saying, Lord, thank you. Thank you for being kind to us and showing grace on us. And that's where it starts. As as he um, was planning out this series, the second week was supposed to be kindness to your family. But then when we found out that I was going to speak, I said, oh, please don't let me do that one. Because sure enough, my kids will say, you weren't very kind when I didn't take out the trash last week. So I don't know about that. So I, um, being a part of the city, I'm very passionate that when our neighborhoods change, our cities change. When our neighborhoods improve, our cities improve. And so kindness to our neighbor is going to be what we're going to talk about today. And believe it or not, every time Jesus wanted to talk about love as an action, and talk about Christianity as an action in our daily life, he used the term neighbor. Over and over again, you see this term neighbor. I think that's kind of funny because your neighbor is a little bit challenging to love sometimes. You either really like your neighbors or you really don't like your neighbors, right? And they feel the same way about you, I promise. And so your neighbor sees you. Your neighbors know if you didn't cut your grass. Your neighbors see you in your bathrobe going to check the mail. Your neighbors know if you got a little loud when y'all were uh, discussing something the night before. Neighbors know everything. And so loving our neighbor is the practical way to love our world. It's the hands-on daily way to love our world. And so I um, thought I'd do a little bit of study and research and things like that because I like to do that kind of thing. So I looked up the word neighbor. Do you know what it means? It's really deep. 
means your neighbor. No, I'm kidding. It means someone nearby. Literally translated in Old English, you're near farmer. Well, we don't have very many near farmers anymore, but we do have people that are nearby. And, uh, and so for me, I want to talk about it in a context of the person you interact with. It may be your barista at Starbucks. It may be someone that you see. It may be your mail lady. It may be somebody at work. It may be somebody that you connect with because you're in customer service and this is a person you always talk to every, every so often. So no matter where we move away, we can move into the most remote place in the world, but you're still going to have a neighbor. You're going to have a store owner. Um, I, I have a friend here. I don't want to point her out because I think it will embarrass her, but I have a friend who is the lady that mixes paint at Walmart and she's amazing at it. And she's my neighbor because I get to see her and we get to talk about the projects we do. We get to talk about the paint and she knows she sees me other there you are. More gray for the, for the hallway and at the church now? I'm like, yeah, we're not done yet. And so we have, we have a connection there because of our story. That's my neighbor. I have other neighbors here that, that we get to see because our kids are in school together and things like that. Neighbors are important. We support each other in life. And even more, as we have a disconnected society, I believe our children and I believe our families need to feel neighbors. Neighborhood schools are important. It's important that your kids feel a connection to where they are. Anyway, that's just a side note. Sorry. So we ask ourselves many times, who is my neighbor? Is it somebody three doors down or four doors down? How, how far do I have to go to say someone is or isn't my neighbor? Well, it's funny that you would ask that because somebody in the Bible asked the same question. Isn't it true? Let's look at that scripture. It's gonna, we're going to go to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 and verse 25 is a story that we're all very familiar with. It's a story that we caption as the Good Samaritan. So we're going to read it. It's kind of a long story, but we're going to read it right now. Verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. I don't think he was Samaritan. I think he was Italian, personally. But Then he put the man on his own donkey brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after them, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert in the law replied, the one who has mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I think he uh, left him pretty speechless. You know, I think it's interesting in the Gospels, as we read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, that over and over, when Jesus was trying to teach a principle, what he actually would do was tell a story. Instead of giving a strategy, so many times we want people to give us a strategy, and then we end up, and when we look to the scripture, we get a story. 
And I think the point with that is because the Lord wants us to figure it out. Have you ever had your kid come and ask you how to spell something? And then my kids hate it when their papa says, sound it out. They're like, I don't want to sound it out. Tell me how to spell the word. Like, I don't want to sound. Because what's he want them to do? He wants them to learn. He wants them to figure it out. So when we read a story, it's because it would be easy if the Lord would have said, well, here's the answer. Here's your neighbor. Do this, do this, do this. Instead, he wants to engage him in a story. I think it's important, too, when we read parables, that we don't take them as a literal story. And I know that sounds kind of simple, but we do this sometimes. I think even with this story, we say, well, I came to church this day, and I didn't see anybody bleeding on the side of the road, so I guess I'm okay. That only applies to if you see someone literally in that state of mind, literally in that state of life. And, um, and, and yet, that somehow is a cop-out. I love it how earlier he asked the question, the, the expert in the law asked that because he really wanted to, what, justify himself. How can I get out of this? Where's the loophole? How can I not be responsible for someone else? It's really what he was asking. I want to be good at the rules, but I really don't want to like people. And the hard part about kindness is you can do the same task, but if you don't do it with love, You actually miss the point of Christianity. And works even are not about our goodness and getting us to heaven. Works are about showing the love of God so that other people get to heaven. Amen? We do good things not so we can have an assurance of salvation. We do good things so that other people as the Bible says, know we are Christians by our love, by our love for one another. It's those things that show that we care. It's acts of kindness that show that we care. And so even in another scripture, in Matthew 22, someone asked him again, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. You know, when we're all trying to get in shape and things like that, we're always trying to find a complex way to do that when sometimes it comes down to really simple stuff that we don't want to do. I, had a, I did a trainer once, once, just once. I got a trainer. That's crazy. And, uh, and I got a trainer, and he was like, I want you to step up and down on this board, up and down. I was like, I can handle that. He goes, now I want you to hold these things like this while you're doing it. I'm like, yeah, I can't do that. And it was about 30 seconds, and I was like on the ground like, are you happy? You proved it. I'm a mom of three. Thank you. And so, <laughs> but, but so many times simply doing an act, giving money to something, or, you know, rounding up our change at the checkout, or doing something like that, we can say, there, we did it. But if we don't do it with kindness, it, it just, it, it, we kind of lose the point. And so it's the kindness factor that is so difficult. You know, like helping your kids with the homework or helping them with kindness. Letting someone cut in on you on traffic or doing it out of kindness. Totally different things, right? They involve many different hand gestures depending on which one you're doing it with. With or without. So, but it was so simple. Jesus was like, it's this simple. I can sum it up. Love your neighbor. Love the Lord. Love your neighbor. Not love a stranger even, not not even, he didn't even get to love your enemy, just your neighbor. And I think it's because it's the beauty of the gospel in everyday life when we love people that we interact with and we show kindness to them on a daily basis. And, and, And just, 
as I thought about this story, I thought, again, how many of you were on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho lately? Maybe once in your life, but not recently. But we pull it out of context. But if you put it in a different world, if you think about going to work, and you think about the lady that cleans your office complex, and you think about the fact that that morning before she came to work, she found out that her 16-year-old didn't come home and she doesn't know where she is. And so she's been robbed of the feeling of safety. She's been robbed of a sense of security and knowing that her child is okay. And maybe your boss walked past and didn't see him. And maybe the head of HR walked past and didn't see her. But when you walk past, are you going to see the pain in her eyes? And are you going to see her hurting and just stop and say hello? Or, or maybe it was grandparents' day at your kids, at your grandchild's school. And maybe you get to go to grandparents' day. Maybe you were like, raising kids, I'm done. But grandparenting is going to be a blast. I cannot wait for this. And it is time for grandparents' day. But what grandparent are you going to be? Are you going to be the grandparent who is so excited that you brought the best food that just the two of you could share? And that you, you know, because you got to go to Panera when everybody else was eating fish sticks in the cafeteria or something? Or are you going to be the grandparent that this is finally your moment to get your time with your grandkid and really no one else matters? Are you going to be the grandkid, the grandparent that sees the little boy crying in the corner because they didn't have a grandparent? And are you going to take some time to walk over to that little boy and love him and be that grandparent that he needs right then in that moment? Because that little child's life will be different from that day forward. There's a little boy in, in um, Addie's class, and, and I, we call him Elmo. I have, no reason, I have no clue why we call him Elmo. His name is something different, but one of the, I don't want to say his name out loud, but one of the field trips we went on, he, he just wasn't having a good time. He just wasn't having a good time. So it was the first nickname I could come up with in my head, and it stuck. And so for the last two years, he's been Elmo. And, no, and Addie will come home and go, hey, mom, Elmo said da 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 You know, like that's just his name to us. But you know what? It was a special moment for me to be with my daughter on a field trip and, and everything like that. And I was scatterbrained trying to think of a million things. But I was trying to take a moment and show kindness to a little boy and maybe make his life special and different in that moment. How many children, how many shut-ins, how many people just need us to see them? They just need us to see that life could be a little bit better. And we pick on Fred Rogers and we laugh at Fred Rogers, but he simply offered consistency and he offered stability in a world that was insane. He, he didn't offer great gifting. We don't even know if he's a great speaker or anything like that, but we know that he was there and he was consistent. And it doesn't take a superstar to change our world. It just takes simple acts of kindness. Amen? Amen. So this morning, we're going to talk about three things. And the great thing about me speaking is I'm shorter than my husband. Isn't that great? Literally and like in speaking. So I promise you'll get out of here fast. Three things that I want you to remember today. Three ways that we can shift our minds from just getting it done and getting it done with kindness. Getting it done the way the Lord saw it. Seeing the need. The first thing that I would challenge you to do this morning is open your heart and your eyes will follow. If all you do is open your eyes, you'll become frustrated, you'll become jaded, you'll become judgmental at who's not doing things and what's wrong in our society, and someone should fix that, and someone should do something about it, and there's problems, and it won't all work anyway because there's just too much to do. But when you open your heart, 
then your eyes will begin to see the need that you can be a part of, the ways that you can change people's lives in each and every way. When you, when you go to check out somewhere, when you go to do something, what's the face of that person say? When you, go to, when you go to grab your recycle bin, is your neighbors always out? Are they that neighbor that always leaves their trash can out for a week? Grab it, run it up to the house. Maybe there's a reason. Maybe there's a story behind it. So when we open our hearts, then the Lord will open our eyes to the need. You know, when we open our eyes, we see opportunities that other people don't see. This is why all the single people in the room know where all the other single people are in the room. See, if you're married, you don't know where all the single people are in the room. But everyone that's single is keenly aware of everyone else who's single in this room. They've already checked them out. They, uh, and especially if it's somebody they like, then they know where they are when they walk in the door. They're like, oh, they're here. Okay, they pretend like you don't know they're there. But you do. You're keenly aware. That they're, Am I right? I know I'm right. And so we can do the same thing when we look for people's hearts and needs. We can be keenly aware of their needs and concerns. If you're already married, do not open your heart and open your eyes. Close your eyes. No, it's a, it's a makes for a much better marriage. So anyway, open your eyes and your heart will follow. Point number two is interrupt your life. Interrupt your own world. Allow your world to stop for a moment. Allow yourself time to, meet, to talk to someone. You know, you say, but if I walk down the street and knock on the door of that lady that's a shut-in, she's got to talk my head off for two hours. I'll never get anywhere. Good. Plan two hours. Set aside the time to invest in someone else. This, not to mention the stories that you'll learn and the life enrichment that you'll have from simply spending time with people, to looking for the need, knowing what's going. Plan. Plan an extra minute to wipe off the countertop in the break room. It, it's not your job. It's not your problem. But it's somebody's. And when you do that, you just made their life a little bit easier. And, you, and you're saying, hey, I'm not better than you. I'm not, I'm not important and you're not. These are my jobs and these are your jobs. You're saying, I value you as a person. So when we interrupt our own lives, we make room to have kindness. That's what we see in the Samaritan. That's the point, is that he stopped. He went, his schedule was not to take someone, put him on his donkey, that cut his travel time, had to go to a hotel, had to do all these things. It wasn't in his schedule. But he's now in the records of history because he interrupted his own life long enough to make a difference in someone else's. And the third thing that I would just challenge you to do is invest in your neighbors. You know, I'm no expert in investing at all. And you would think that if you invest, you would like, okay, I'm going to buy lottery tickets until I win. Then I'm going to take that winning and I'm going to put it in the bank. But if you talk to any financial planner, they'll tell you that's a bad idea. They'll say little by little, each and every day, put a little bit away, put a little bit away, and eventually you'll have more than you need. You know, if you ever gone to the checkout and it'll say, would you like to round up your, to the nearest dollar today so that you can make a donation to the American Heart Association or something like that? And I'll think, why do you need my 18 cents? What good can you do with 18 cents? But someone much smarter than me has figured out if I can get your 18 cents and your 18 cents and your 18 cents, eventually we can amass an amount that can make a difference. And the acts of kindness that you do in this one minute, that another believer does in another minute, and another and another will change people's lives when we do that. So little by little, make an investment in your community, in your world. Just, just give. It doesn't take much to change someone else's life. And what's interesting is I'm kind of a city nerd. You know, I like 
nerdy facts. Personally, it's just kind of me. So I found out that when you invest in your neighbors and in your neighborhood, not only do you change their hearts, but you literally change your community. When neighbors are, are connected and neighborhoods are strong, literally the neighborhood is better. That makes the city better, which changes the state and on and on in our nation. When you as a neighbor get involved in your neighborhood, this, this uh, uh, statistics show that you have the potential to lower crime by up to 25%. And this is why criminologists, is that the right word? Criminologists have studied and found that when you know your neighbor and you know their name and you know their story, you actually care about their well-being. You actually care if they live or die. And so when something is off in their home, you know it. And so crimes are avoided and crimes, even crimes that happen are solved because neighbors know each other because they'll say, I didn't think that there was somebody supposed to be at the house at that time of the day. And that one act is bigger than any well-funded police force or anything like that because you can make a difference on a simple way. Did you know that when you improve the landscaping of your yard. You cut down that big nasty tree that covered the whole front of the house. Remember that one? Not a big tree. Don't cut the big trees. Keep the big trees. Okay. Um, When you trim your hedges, when you paint your awnings, you actually improve your whole neighborhood's property. So much so that you have a positive effect greater than the negative effect of a power plant next door to your community. It's huge. It's huge. One person taking a few hours on a Saturday can change their neighborhood. And guess what happens? When you start to fix up your neighbor, your house, what does your neighbor do? Oh, yeah? Well, watch what I'll do. And then they start fixing it up. And then all of a sudden, you have a neighborhood that's involved. When you notice the little, the little elementary kid that walks home from school, and you see him, and you watch him, you're helping that parent keep an eye on their kids. Because if good people aren't watching them, bad people are going to watch them. And it's important that we see, that we see our kids and that we see the need and, um, and, and invest in our, our areas. Is there an abandoned house in your area? Let somebody know. Call the city. Let them know. Is your sidewalk broken? Let somebody know. There's people that can fix that. It's little things like that, though, that say, I want my area to be better. I want my neighborhood to be better. And if there's one thing that I just so want to get across today, it's that each and every one of us as individuals can make a difference. It is not one person who has, gonna, has a passion for a program, and that program is going to change things. Programs are great, but we don't need more programs. We need more neighbors. We need more neighbors that are willing to be kind to people all around them and to invest and to step out of their own comfort zones and let their life be kind of messy so that someone else's life can be changed. Romans went as far as to say it this way, which I thought was really interesting. Romans 15, 15 says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. When I read that, I was like, okay, wait a second. You went from like, I just got to be nice to actually trying to help make them happy. Whoa, now. That's a little, now you've gone to meddling, Lord. But it's important that we invest and we love our neighbors. I love to look around this room and see neighbors. I love to see people that I know that live close to each other. We have two single moms in the group. They look out for each other. They've got each other's backs. They, they care for one another. Has, if anybody's ever been to Brenda and Kelly's garage sale, you know what it means to feel kindness to a neighbor. There are people in this church that came because they came to a garage sale. 
But it wasn't a garage sale just for the sake of making money. It was a garage sale for the sake of touching their neighbors and connecting with people. And the money part's fun too. So, but as we connect and show kindness to our neighbors, we have the ability to touch people's hearts. I want to I share one story as we go and as we get ready to close. I was having coffee with somebody the other day, and she, um, she shared with me a story. She was walking at one of the tracks that our schools have. We have a few of our schools have tracks. And she is one of those crazy people that works out every morning. I don't know if any of y'all are like that. Um, I love sleep. I love sleep a lot. Yeah, sleep is so wonderful. And, um, and so just the trade-off. But anyway, um, she walks every morning and she gets up really early to walk. So it's about 5.30 in the morning that she goes and walks around this track. See, it's, I'm yawning too. Ryan's yawning already. Um, and she's walking around this track and she kept noticing every time she walked a little girl sitting under the streetlight near the school. And every morning, this little girl would be sitting there at 5.30 in the morning. And it, it sparked her curiosity, and she wanted to know what was going on. And so she called the school, do you not have a program? And they said, ma'am, you don't understand the funding it takes to open a massive building and turn on the air conditioner and have staff there that's going to stay all day anyway. It's, it's a difficult program to launch for this one little girl. And um, it's not that we don't care. It's just practically impossible. And her heart was broken. And she began to look into it further, and she found out that this little girl and her brother, um, are, live with their mom, and their mom is a hardworking lady that's doing everything she can to provide for her family. She gets up, she leaves the house at five in the morning to go to work, and when she does, she tells, she asks the kids to leave, and she locks them out of the house, and, um, and that little girl has nowhere else to go except towards school, so she walks to school every morning and sits for two hours under a streetlight waiting for school to start. Now, Thank goodness that a good person recognized that. But guess what? Other people see that little girl too. So may we not let people with ill intent be the ones that see before we do. Let us see these babies. You know, um, I heard of another story about a girl that was um, doing all that she could to get on track. She's a beautiful girl that's a, um, an upperclassman in one of our schools. And, and earlier in life, she had made some mistakes and she got pregnant, but she did, the, you know, she had the baby and she gave it up and she went back to school doing all that she could just to, to kind of make the best decisions with what she had in front of her. She's making good grades and everything. And she showed up at school on a Monday morning, no books, no bag, and with bruises and had been beat. And come to find out, the, um, the father of the baby had gotten out of prison come and found her and asked for the baby to where it was. And when she said no, he beat her badly, threw her out of the car with her books in the car and left her. So here she is now back at school trying to make the most out of everything she has with no books or anything. Guys, we have an incredible school system. We have incredible teachers, but we cannot lean on just our teachers and our school system to fix our world. We have to see people. And I believe that both the little girl under the streetlight and the sweet, precious baby in that chair have neighbors. And they probably have more neighbors than they have teachers, even. And more neighbors than they have guidance counselors. And more neighbors than they have doctors or anything else. We have an abundance of neighbors. But we have neighbors that don't want to see. Because it's messy. And because it's challenging. But you know what? We have generations of precious people that need 
us to see them. They need us to show kindness to them in sweet and simple ways. And sometimes it's just a hug. You do that so well here at Church on the Hill. You just give a hug. Somebody came up to me and said, what do I do? How can I, how can I get involved? Where do you need help? And I said, I just need you to see who nobody else sees. I just need you to see the hurt in someone's eyes that I may be, not be able to see from the light, because of the lights. Or I may not be able to get to talk to somebody. But we have but precious people that love and they want to see and they see a need. It's that simple act that can keep someone from doing something they'll regret when they walk out of this building or from, from taking their own life or something like that because they know that somebody's loved and somebody cares for them. So I deputize you today to be great neighbors, to love people, invest in your neighborhoods, invest in your schools, bring flowers to the teacher for goodness sake. It's that little thing that says, hey, thank you. I appreciate you. Different things like that. It's those deliberate acts of kindness that will begin to soften hearts and show people that there's a God that loves them and he's there for them. Would y'all all stand with me? Thank you, Father. If you guys would just pray with me today, let's all close our eyes. Father, I just thank you so much for the incredible people that um, are here at Church on the Hill today and even the amazing ones that couldn't make it. Father, there were so many other things they could have done with their time, but they committed that time to you this morning. And I'm so incredibly grateful for that. Lord, we, um, we love you. But golly, that love the neighbor part sometimes gets really challenging. And, uh, and so we're asking you, Father, to help us show kindness to our neighbors. Help us to show love in action by being kind to people, by being kind to our neighbor. Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts. Show us the people that, um, that need us to and just give a little. Just give a little of who we are to them. And Father, I thank you that people will know that we're Christians by our love. Lord, if they know people from every religious background, let them say, but that Christian I know, man, they're so nice. They're so legitimately kind. Thank you, Father. As everybody has their eyes closed still, I, um, I don't want to end a service without giving someone an opportunity to get closer to Jesus today. You know, as I've told you before, I'm not, I don't do this every week. I'm not fancy at all the altar call stuff. But I will say this, that kindness starts from an acknowledgement of the kindness that the Lord showed you. And we can't even begin to be kind, deeply kind from the inside out till we understand that the kindness and the love of God is so great that he looked past all of our weaknesses. He looked past our yuckiness and he, look straight to our heart and he said, I love you. I love you and I want to know you and I want a relationship with you. So if this morning you would say, just say in your heart, Jesus, I need you. I want to know you more. Just offer your life to him if for the first time or if all over again, just say, Lord, I give you my life. Thank you, Father, for what you did. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. I commit my life to you. And the Lord will walk with you every step of that journey. The Holy Spirit will be there with you each and every part of the way. For all of us in this room, we just say, Lord, open our hearts. Teach us to be kind. 
Teach us to love people in in the way that you would love them. Teach us to see people in the way you see them. Lord, let us see those that have been robbed of of their hope, robbed of uh, so many things, Father. Teach us to see a need. And Father, when you give us the resources, as you give them, we will invest them in people. Father, show us each and every day how we can live kind in all that we do. To your glory, Father, not for our accolades, Father, but for your glory. We ask all these things in your son's, son, Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen.